0: i can't remember what i was supposed to say has <laughs> a reoccurring role on hbo ballers mark slareth handsome son, bitch, get out here and makes one hell of a bowl of green chili it's mark slareth and this is the stinking truth podcast hey welcome back to the stinking
1: Truth podcast man glad you're back with us I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor the fine folks over at core water and i'm telling you what core water ah absolutely delicious love the giant suck hole. For hydration. Big old hole. Blue cap. You can't miss core water. pH balanced perfectly. 7.4 pH balance to match your body's natural pH level. Great for hydration. Great for working out. Absolutely wonderful. Crisp, clean taste. Award winning taste. That's core water. Check them out at hydratewithcore.com. Mike, how are you, buddy?
0: Man, I am doing well. I am so excited. NFL playoff football is here. You know, for all the college football loonies out there, Mm. College football's nice. You got a great you got a great regular season, but then you give it all away with your sham of a of a so-called playoff and all those worthless bowl games. But the NFL, we decide it on the field. Mm. 4 games this weekend, 4 games next weekend. I can't wait. You know what's
1: great? I mean, everybody says hey, there's nothing better than than a, a game 7 like in in the National Hockey League. You know what's great about the NFL? Every game is a game 7. Like like the the whole seven game series is very it's not very often that in a seven game series like in the NBA that the best team is going to lose a seven game series right it just doesn't happen very often but the NFL the thing that makes it great is any given Sunday if you have a great game plan and you execute that game plan and and you know your team is just dialed in that particular week uh, a team that maybe not as good talented or whatever as the other team. Um, they have a chance to come away victorious and and it's one of the things i love about the national football league one of the things i love about this this playoff format it's winner take all it's a one game series man it's like a, it's like a game 7 in hockey um you know stanley cup finals game 7 it's just a, a winner take all situation i mean it makes it to me it just makes it
0: really exciting mm, sounds like you're perhaps hinting at some upsets this weekend uh, I mean, I mean, nothing would be regarded as a colossal upset. No. I mean, when you look at the the lines, but right upsets, none the least.
1: Yeah, I've got a couple. I've got a couple of. Um, I've got at least one that I think would be considered an upset. It just depends on. It just depends on how you look. I mean, if you look at Houston, the line in Houston, Indianapolis, it's Houston minus one at home, which means Indianapolis. They think you know the sharps think that the Indianapolis is a better team. Because you usually get three points, right, just for being at home. So minus one is is basically everybody saying that Indy is a is a better football team. Am I correct? In You're that? right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are they? want to call get, your shot? Do they yeah,
1: win? No. You know what? Here's the deal. I think Andrew Luck is a great story. Andrew Luck has been absolutely amazing. Um, both of these teams have been incredible. Um, you know, you look at the, you know the juxtaposition of these two teams that like. Houston, nobody's given up more sacks than the Houston Texans. Um, and over the last eight weeks, nobody's given up less sacks than than that of the Indianapolis Colts. And normally I would say, well, who's ever offensive line is playing better? That would be an indicator of who I think is going to win this game. Um, I but there's just something about this Houston team at home that intrigues me. One, the defensive side of the ball with J.J. J. Watt and Clowney, and uh, this defense can certainly play. There's no question about that. I think the flip side is, for me offensively, DeAndre Hopkins. But when I talk about Deshaun Watson, yeah, he's taking a lot of sacks. I get that. Um, but his ability to push the ball down the football field, the unscheduled type plays. I don't know if you saw the statistic, but DeAndre Hopkins had 115 catches this year. Um, and zero drops. Zero, did, did you hear that? Zero drops. Stunning. I mean, that. how? How, how in the world um, do you have zero drops? In an, in, in an NFL season where you had 115 catches, it's just unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. So I, I just, like, I'm going to go, Mike, with the Houston Texans, I think, at home, With the off-scheduled nature of DeAndre Hopkins, um, or excuse me, of of Deshaun Watson, with what Hopkins has done this season, the big play ability, um, and defensively, J.J. Watt up and down the line of scrimmage. I I think this is a little bit different matchup, as much as I love Quentin Nelson and what he's been able to do, and kind of the toughness quotient that he has brought. And, and, you know, I know he's not going to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year, but um, if I was a voter, I'd vote for him because I think he's changed the attitude and and the tempo and the toughness culture uh, of the Indianapolis Colts. So that's the direction I would go. But I'm going to take the Houston Texans. Okay, I'm
0: going to I'm, I'm going to take the Colts, and I, I love the way Andrew Luck's playing. Um, he's got experience in in the playoffs. Um, I, I you know, I love Deshaun Watson, but mm-hmm. I I I trust Andrew Luck's ability to make more guys around him better. And when I look at the Texans' offense right now, Demarius Thomas is out for the season. Um, 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 uh, Kiki's been been banged up with the the, the hamstring. Uh, Lamar Miller's been up and down. I I think Lamar Miller is a huge huge key in this game. They've got to get more from him uh, because right now it's Deshaun Watson and his ability to do things one by himself, and to Andre Hopkins, and and really once you get beyond that, their offense is really limited. So I I just like the Colts ability to do more plus they're they're playing very good defense so I'll I'll take the I'll take the Colts. So Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean I I think it's fair. Like that's that's a game that to me like, I think they split in the regular season. They win overtime one game in the regular season. I mean I I just like they're pretty evenly matched, Mike, and um and I could see that game. I could certainly see that game going either way. Um, you know, so let I me mean, talk about a fence rider. But I could certainly see it going either way. But I'm going to take the home team. I'm going to take Houston. All
0: right. So we got some disagreement there. What about that other AFC game? You got the you got the Chargers Ravens. Just a couple weeks ago, right. Ravens dominated. But that game, you know, I wonder. Uh, let me let me toss this out. That game was in LA, and and I'm mm. sorry, you've you've called games there. It's it's no home field advantage. It's a it's a terrible atmosphere for the Chargers right. to play in. I I wonder if they may really rally around the idea that it's just just them us against the world on the road in Baltimore against the mm-hmm. team that dominated them just a couple of weeks ago. I I, I get the sense the Chargers are going to rise to the occasion in this one.
1: Yeah, you know what it, it's interesting you say that because everybody is you know everybody is like well I mean you know they've played them once before so. You know, there's going to be an opportunity here to, um, you know, to really do something special and to kind of change the quote-unquote narrative and, and yada 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 yada. Right? I mean, I, th- I think that's, I think that's what you look at. And then, and then I've heard a lot of people say, "Hey, listen, uh, this this team since Lamar Jackson's taken over in Baltimore has averaged about 230 plus yards rushing per game, but the Chargers limited into to about 160. You know, and um, Lamar Jackson probably had his best passing game of the year." And he still was only twelve to twenty-two, which is a fifty-five, about fifty-five percent completion percentage, uh, for two hundred and four yards. You know, so like there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at that and say, well, they got to see him once, and being able to see that kind of triple, you know, triple read or, or uh, triple option offense kind of that they're running, um, they'll be able to shut that thing down. Let, let me just let me just say this, like when you study them on film, and you know, I did a game um, probably what, week 15 that Baltimore ran, and I'm watching the film of the Ravens, and I'm like, every like every time, I'm I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's the biggest, uh, like, okay, I, I played for 12 years. I've been a broadcaster for 18 years, okay? So 30 years of, of being involved with the NFL. I blocked for a 2,000-yard rusher in Terrell Davis, right? So I, I know what a good running game looks like. Right. Would you agree with that? You know, I, I kind of know what that looks like. I'm like, Mike, I was like watching film like, oh, my God, I've never seen a bigger hole than that. And then the next player was like, oh, my God, that that's a bigger hole than the last one. I was, oh, my goodness. Like, it was constant throughout this whole process. And as I'm breaking it down, I'm watching the way they run the option. And they'll essentially bring players From the weak side to the strong side. So once you've set your formation, whether it's a motion or whether it's um, you know after the snap, because they're running it you know a lot out of shotgun and some other and some other situations, but they'll like get a tight end or a receiver that crosses crosses the formation, and if you split it in half, there'll be three guys that are unaccounted for on the backside of a play, and they'll get they'll option the first guy. You know, the, they'll option the onside, let's call him the defensive end. So they're basically playing off of him. He's unblocked. And in doing that, the motion a tight end across and they'll, they'll like fake, like they're going to block him and then they'll slip out and get to the second level. And now they've gotten, you know, on the front side of it, if you've got like, let's call it five defenders on, on that half of the ball, they've got seven blockers and because they're optioning one guy. So it's really like you know, when you're running the ball, you know, it's it's not 11 on 11 or 10 on 11 like traditional football. It's really it's really like 13 guys on 11 guys. Because they've pulled guys from the backside to the front side and you're on the backside of a uh, of the defense unblocked, but you can't make a play. Like you can't get over there. And it's it's pretty unique and I hear, well, you know, they've seen it. Now they'll be able to adjust to it. You know, I, I've heard that before like with the Cheetah in Kansas City. Like he's the most he's the fastest player. Like I had one defensive coordinator, actually the defense coordinator um um of of the Baltimore Ravens, Wink Martindale, tell me I've never seen on the field, I've never seen a faster player in all my years of the NFL. N- never seen a faster player. And everybody says, Oh, yeah, we've seen his his speed now, now we're gonna adjust to it. Yeah, okay. As he runs by you and still makes plays every Sunday. You've seen it and you think you can adjust to it but i just don't know that you can adjust to it and i think they're not getting credit for it they're a top one or two defense in scoring one or two total defense um they're the most tied together defense from a disguise standpoint and getting to where they need to be and doing it efficiently um that i have seen in the nfl they're they're legit um you know and and i mean they held philip rivers to 181 yards passing they intercepted him twice and they held uh, Melvin Gordon to 41 yards rushing. I think they had about 50, 50, 50 and change total yards rushing against this Baltimore defense in scoring 10 points. They're legit, man.
0: Yeah. I like the Ravens. Okay, I'm a, I'm going to go with the Chargers. I still think uh, we very rarely see rookie quarterbacks mm-hmm. excel in the NFL playoffs. And I just think at some point uh, Lamar Jackson's going to submit a performance that says, ah, yes. Okay. He's a rookie, so all I'll right. go with the Chargers. But
1: by, by the way, these are these are these are our money maker. Yeah, picks let's too. do them. So okay. I've got so. Uh,
0: you've got Houston minus one. I've got Indy plus one. Okay, and you've got Baltimore minus three. I've got the Chargers plus three.
1: And and just a reminder for all you folks out there, our moneymaker maker picks always brought to you by the the fine folks at Bud Light and the Bud Light team cans. If you haven't gotten them, they're really cool. If you're a big fan of the team. I'm maybe a big fan of these playoffs. Um, so Mike is going to be sipping on Indie, uh, the Indie Team Cam Bud Light. I'll go Houston, and I'm going Baltimore. You're going the
0: Chargers. All right, that brings us to the uh, the NFC games and and Dallas and Seattle. And if if I could make a request for the for the TV gods, the TV broadcast mm-hmm. is, you know how you do the in, the box inside the box when you're watching yeah. TV. Oh yeah. I just want I want the game action and then I want just down in the like right or left-hand corner of my screen, I just want a constant camera fixed on Jerry Jones' owner box. Because mm-hmm. if this game is close, especially in the fourth quarter, right. with all the playoff failures of the Cowboys in the past, just to watch the the reaction of Jarrett throughout all this mm-hmm. will be just it, – it, it'll be like the highlight of the broadcast. Can't give me enough – Jerry Jones' right. owner box shots.
1: Yeah, no that that would be it would be absolutely incredible. As, yeah, especially you know especially if Seattle's putting it on him. Like if it's a tight game, you know he'll be into it. But if Seattle's up by ten late in the fourth quarter, wow. his head is going to explode. Uh, it would be it it'd be awesome theater. You know, just awesome television. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because these two teams are constructed in a similar fashion, Mike. Um, they both want to run the ball. They both want to control the line of scrimmage. They both, you know, that's that's who they are. I mean, there's nobody that runs the ball more than Seattle. I think 55 percent of the offensive plays are running plays. They're the number one team in the league as far as uh, yards rushing per game at about 158, almost 160 yards. Obviously, so that's who they are. You know, this is this is what's this is what's interesting to me. Like this game is going to come down to a possession game. Um, and and what I mean by that is the normal possessions that you get in an NFL game are about 12 to 13 possessions. Um, each team's going to get nine possessions. So then it comes down to this. In those nine possessions, who do I trust at the quarterback position to make a play? Do I trust Dak or do I trust Russell Wilson? And especially in the red zone, because Dallas is one of the worst red zone teams in the National Football League, who do I trust more? Do I trust Dak or do I trust Russell Wilson? And I trust Russell Wilson in those scenarios, in those situations. I think Dallas probably has a better defense. Well, I don't think. I know they have a better defense. Um, you know, they have a better offensive line. Um, and, and they probably have a better running back in general. But it's going to come down to which quarterback makes plays. Now, I think this. I think with Scott Linehan, I think what you saw is Scott Linehan, the offense coordinator of the Cowboys. So I think what you saw – with Dallas in Dak's rookie season. I think you saw a lot more of the collegiate influence of the RPO game, of the designed quarterback run game, especially in the red zone as a rookie. And I think what you've seen here in in the last couple of years is them essentially eliminating some of that stuff, understanding that it's not a long-term solution, that you're not going to be able to keep your quarterback healthy long-term. It's not sustainable. And I think what you have to do for Dak Prescott is you have to break that stuff back out, especially in the red zone. You have to make them more multiple in the red zone to cure some of those red zone woes that the Cowboys have. And so I think there's going to have to be seven or eight designed runs for Dak Prescott in this game, especially down there in the red zone, to take advantage of his athleticism and to open up some of the pretty basic route combinations they have in the red zone. I think that's what they're going to have to do to win this game, but still, when push comes to shove, I'm taking Seattle because I think Seattle's quarterback in Russell Wilson will make more plays mm-hmm. in the long run than Dallas's quarterback.
0: Well, fair enough. Although, boy, this is becoming interesting for our uh, Bud Light moneymaker picks because I'm going to take I'm going to take Dallas minus the two. You're going to take Seattle plus the two. I just wonder if we're letting p- past performance cloud our view of this game. Like we're we're so used to seeing the Cowboys choke in these type of games that they seem to be lugging that into this one. And Seattle is a team that, you know, because they've been the Seahawks for so long, we're we're giving them the the benefit of the doubt that they'll once again rise to the occasion. And I wonder mm-hmm. if neither one of those teams are who their predecessors used to be. You know what I mean? are we mm-hmm. are we letting ourselves be clouded by that either positively for Seattle or negatively for Dallas too much?
1: right? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's always. I think there's always that point, and I think the, the fact of the matter is is that, that Dak has been up and down. You know, you've got one of the better offensive lines in football. You've taken over 50 sacks. Um, you have a propensity to hold on to the ball, and, and, and the red zone woes are real. Now, I, I'm telling you what, if they if they change kind of what the offense that I, I suggested they do, um, I you know, I think if they do that and they fix some of the red zone issues, I think they win this game. But again I, I just in a limited number of possessions um who do I trust to make some big plays and and I just trust Russell Wilson more to make a few big plays that's that's kind of where I'm going on that so that that's uh, you and I uh, again are uh every we're going head to head on every game
0: which leaves us Chicago and Philly Chicago's a, a six point favorite over Saint Nick yeah. and the uh Eagles.
1: Yeah, I think this is where well, I think this is where Saint Nick um, actually stumbles, and some of the uh, you know some of the polish wears off, so to speak. I, I just like the Chicago Bears when you look at them at their core. I think they're listed as a three-four defense, but they really play a five-man front. And when they play, and and I've talked to their I've talked to their coaches about this that we really try to be kind of more of a I would call this a five-two defense. So, meaning we're going to cover all five of your offensive linemen. And we're going to find a way to be one-on-one. And if you're going to chip Khalil Mack, which you're going to have to, bring an extra, you know, extra offensive player in, whether that's tight end or running back. Um, however, we're going to get that done. Um, the, the bottom line is we're we're going to find a way to get one-on-ones across the board. And so, if you're double teaming, you know, if you're double teaming, Khalil Mack, you know, uh, Akeem Hicks is is going to be one-on-one, and he's an absolute beast. Or Leonard Floyd is going to be coming off the edge one-on-one with a running back if you're sliding protection. So that's what Chicago does. And I'm just telling you, over the last couple of years, um, I have seen elite-level defenses take their teams very very deep into the playoffs and even to the promised land for a championship. The 2013 Seahawks did it. Um, now, they're, they were complete. I mean, special teams was great and everything, but it was really predicated on how good their defense was, and they absolutely um, manhandled a Broncos team in that championship game that was prolific offensively that season, and they manhandled them. Then the Broncos in, in 2015 did the same thing. The Patriots in the AFC championship game, they shut them down. The Broncos, with an offense that was anemic, Brought their team a championship, so we've seen this in the past, um, all the way back to the '85 Bears who did it, or the '2000 Ravens, maybe the biggest example of a team just dragging an offensive team that was weaker um, to a championship game. I think Matt Nagy, the offensive the head coach that that was a former coordinator in Kansas City, is a is a weapon as far as a play caller is concerned and adjustments in game. Um, I like this game. I think this game is fairly close, but in the end, I think I'll take Chicago and uh, I'll give the minus six.
0: Yeah, I will. I will as well. I guess the the key for Chicago here moving forward is everything you say about the defense is is legit. But you know, even some of those really really great defensive teams. And we saw the Broncos do it here just a couple of years ago, but they still had Peyton Manning. It was a limited Peyton Manning, but it was still, you know, it was still Peyton Manning. Yeah. And I just wonder: is is Mitch Trubisky in this offense? Are they going to be able to generate enough uh, throughout these playoffs? You know, so that you're not putting the Bears in a position where they got to try to win games. You know, right? Twelve to six. You know what I mean? I mean, are they going to be able to get enough offense?
1: Right? No, I get you. I yeah, you know, I mean, I'm hundred percent with you on that. So but I think they get through this first round. Yep. That's just my that's just my you know, my belief.
0: All right, cool. We're gonna do a little question mark here?
1: Yeah, we'll do a little question mark. This one comes from Tracy and uh any insight we you and I are both from you know, from Denver, Colorado. We live in Denver and obviously they're in a coaching search right now. We've talked about some of the coaching searches right now, but it says any insight into the leading candidates for the Broncos head coaching job, please um, any changes in the front office. Well, there's not going to be any changes in the front office because John is not going to fire himself, right? And I don't think he's going to fire, you know, I don't think he's firing anybody in the front office. And they had a really good draft last year. So we have to give them credit for that. But insight into the head coaching job, Mike.
0: I I think they need an adult. Um, and I think they need somebody that's, that's coached in this league before. It's funny that uh, – What do they say? Those that ignore history are doomed to repeat it. And if you look at the most recent history of the Broncos, their two hires where they went with old school coaches who had just been fired from their jobs. John Fox and Gary Kubiak, the two combined for two Super Bowl appearances and one Super Bowl win. And the last two times they've gone after, uh, you know, the, the young, fresh, you know, innovative, outside the box you know, this is the new age of coaching. First-time head coaches, mm-hmm. Josh McDaniels and Vance Joseph, it's been an unmitigated disaster. So I'm a little bit curious as to why some Bronco fans want to go back to that first-time head coach. Well, they're talking up uh, Zach Taylor, the uh, quarterback's coach from the, the Rams. To me, I, I think this is a team which is facing a little bit of a rebuild, I think, for at least a, a couple years. I think having a, uh, an older coach, old school, I like Mike Munchak.
1: I do too. I I'm I'm 100% with you. I think the old school like if you want to get innovative on the offensive side of the ball, that's great. You know, I I always I always laugh at this whole innovation and uh you know genius on the offensive side of the ball. You realize that that both the New Orleans Saints and and the the Rams who have kind of the you know the big time innovative offenses, if you will, all based out of zone running game, the the wide stretch zone play that I ran back in the nineties, uh, late nineties with the Denver Broncos. That's what they base their team out of, and then it all comes off of play action and, and all off of kind of layered route concepts off of that. So it's it's the same stuff that's been run forever. They're just running it exceptionally well and they do a lot more of it out of out of three wide personnel than than we did back in the day. You know, we were more out of base Although we did run a ton of it out of three wides as well, but um, it just makes me laugh. Um, it, you know, so that's kind of where they are, and I, I'm telling you, you can get you know a quote unquote young innovator. I I look at you know the Rams, the assistant coaches from the Rams who are getting a lot of you know just a lot of a lot of shine, if you will, and it's it's. You know, it's like catching a unicorn tier, right? If if we caught a unicorn tier, then maybe we'll be magic, just like the Rams are magic. No, the Rams there's like McVeigh is awesome. There's no question that McVeigh is incredible. Mike, but when you look at their roster, their roster is loaded. With former first-round picks, I mean, Aaron Donald's the best player in football. Um, Brockers is a first-rounder. and Dominican Sue's a first-rounder. Akeem Tlaib is a first-rounder. Marcus Peters is a first-rounder. Do I need to go on? How about, you know, Whitworth at the offensive tackle position and Sullivan and, you know, and, well, Sullivan's not a first-rounder, but he's a good player. Um, Jared Goff's a first-rounder. Um, Brandon Cooks is a first-rounder. Todd Gurley's a first-rounder. Like, like, really? Do we... Oh, it's just he's a genius. Well, he's got better players than everybody else. I mean, so seriously, um, it, ridiculous to me, absolutely ridiculous.
0: Well, what did you say real quick? You said that if you were, I said, take out Vance Joseph, take out Sean McVay, and just compare the talent of the L.A. Rams to the talent of the Denver Broncos. You said?
1: Oh, I, it, the the L.A. Rams are an A, A-plus talent, and the Broncos are a D. There you go. And that's all you ever need to know. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Hey, listen, man, appreciate you, buddy. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks to everybody for listening to the of Truth podcast. To Tracy, I'm going to send you something. Thank you for being a part of the Think of Truth podcast. To our corporate sponsors at uh, Core Water and Bud Light, thank you guys so much for participating in the program. And uh, we'll be back with you next week to see exactly where we're at. By the way, oh, yeah, we did finish that up. So I did win the regular season in the uh, Moneymaker picks, right? Oh, Crushed you.
0: Well, you Crushed won the regular you. season by a half game. Literally, it was a half game. If I win, if I 30, win. 30-23-1 versus my 30-24. and 24. A half game. That much maligned tie, like way back in week two of the season, is the only difference
1: for you. Let, let me ask you this. If, if the Texans are down by two with... 30 seconds left, and then make a couple of uh, a couple of big-time throws by Deshaun Watson and kick a 56-yarder that goes through. Do they advance to the playoffs, or does Indy get to advance too?
0: <laughs> uh, you hot snot. Winner, yeah.
1: winner, chicken dinner. I won the regular season. We'll just see what goes on in the playoffs. That's all I got to say. Fair enough. Okay. All right. For everybody involved, thank you so much for listening to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast.